Well, good morning, Horizon. Uh, very special welcome to you, especially if you are visiting for the first time this morning. A uh, special welcome to you. would remind you that following the service outside of these doors in the hearth room, if you have some questions that you would like to have answered uh, about the Christian life, if you have some questions you'd like to have answered about Horizon Community Church, you want to go to that room and there will be people there to greet you and to... Uh, answer any questions that you might have. My name is Harry Shields. My wife, uh, Carol, and I are with you uh, again. We were with you last summer, and we're going to be here a couple of times this year. It's great to be with you again. I'm sure you've noticed, either by watching the weather report or just walking outside, it's going to be a beautiful day today. I think the prediction is it's going to get up somewhere uh, into the low 60s. Whenever I hear temperatures like that this time of year, it reminds me of a, a preacher I heard about. Maybe, maybe you've heard his story as well. Uh, preacher woke up one Sunday morning, looked outside. It was sunny. Uh, birds were chirping and uh, kind of scratched his beard and thought to himself, I, I wonder what I should. Yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go golfing today. He announced to his wife that he was going to go golfing. And she said, you can't do that. She said, it's Sunday. He said, oh, yeah, I said, I've already made plans. In fact, he said, I've already called the head deacon. He said, he's going to get someone to come in. He said, I'm going golfing. And with that, he put on his clothes, grabbed his uh, golf bag, and he went out to the golf course. While he is traveling to the golf course, his two guardian angels are looking over him. And the one looks at the other and said, what in the world are we going to do? The senior guardian angel said, I have a plan. He said, on the very first hole, he's going to hit a hole in one. The other guardian angel said, why would you let him do that? He looked at the other one and said, who is he going to tell? <laughs> so on a Sunday morning, if you are uh, thinking about going golfing, just have second thoughts because your guardian angels might have other plans. Uh, what's been happening over the last several weeks here at Horizon is you've been going through the book of Exodus, and we're going to do so this morning. And so I want to invite you to take your copy of the scriptures or your electronic devices, and would you make your way to Exodus chapter 5, Exodus chapter 5. In just a moment, I'm going to read a portion of scripture. You're going to see that scripture on the screen as well. But on your way to Exodus chapter 5, I would like you to bring a question to the text. Here's the question. Why is it that sometimes after we know the will of God, we hear the will of God, we might even see the will of God, that all of a sudden when we set out to do the will of God, we are faced with setbacks, with delays? Why is that? That might be where some of you are this morning. You thought you heard the will of God. You thought you knew the will of God. And in obedience, you wanted to do it. And yet, you find at this point in time, you are faced with a, a delay of one kind or another. God doesn't seem to be moving forward in fulfilling his will. Why is that? We're going to find an answer to that question by looking at Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. I'm going to begin with the last verse of chapter 4. Read the first seven verses, and then we'll drop to the end of chapter 5 and look at a portion of chapter 6 as well. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 31. Here's what it says. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. You want to remember that response. They hear what God is going to do, so they believe, and then they, they bow and they worship. Verse 1, 
Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast uh, to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Go back to your labor." And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Then would you drop down to the end of the chapter to verse 22. This is what God's word says. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I have not uh, been known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So we come back to the question with which we started reading this passage, and that is, why is it that sometimes a person can know the will of God, like Moses, and they start out to do the will of God, and then they face obstacles along the way? Uh, Why is it that it happens that way in your life? Uh, back in the year 2000, uh, Carol and I uh, happened to be living in, in the Chicago area. I was full-time in the faculty at the Moody Bible Institute, and a church contacted us. In fact, it was a church with whom we had dialogue for several months. And Carol and I prayed about the situation because they were saying, would you consider coming and, and, and being our pastor? Prayed about it, sought the counsel of other people, uh, uh, looked at different things that were happening in the church. I, I said to the elders in the search committee, now if I were to come, here are some things that I would like to do, some changes that I think would be helpful if the church is going to, to move ahead. 
And so the more we prayed, the more we counseled, the more we thought about it, we said, God's in this. I could give you a whole lot of detail as to how we saw a lot of things that were indicating that this is what God wanted us to do. And so I left my position at Moody, and uh, we moved to northeastern Wisconsin, and I became the pastor of, uh, of a church. We were there for uh, about 13 years. But I want to tell you, that first year was a roller coaster ride. I got there, and there was a staff member who decided that he didn't want to go along with the program. There were people who said, listen, a lot of changes are taking place here. We're not sure we like those changes. And, and I was saying, listen, I, I think this is what the Lord wants us to do. And I was convinced of that in my heart, but along the way, it was almost as if we were facing all kinds of obstacles. And guess what I was asking the Lord? Why is it that this is happening? It seems so clear that this is what you wanted us to do. You know of a couple, Greg and Donna, went through Bible college, went to seminary. They decided that they were going to move into a church planning ministry and it wasn't very long until they made their move and started to plant this church and then sickness started to go through the family. There were setbacks along the way. People who said they were going to be leaders started to be obstacles in their lives. But seven years later, they not only left that church, they left ministry altogether. Why does that happen? Why is it that God would let those things occur in our lives when it seems as though we know what his will is all about. As we come to this text this morning, I, w- I want us to do some things. For example, I want us to take a look at this text to answer this question. On the other side of looking at this text, what I would like to do is to discover, help you to discover, help all of us to discover a truth that we can take with us into the weekend and into the rest of our lives. And then after we look at that truth, I, I want us to be able to see what the takeaways are for, for our own personal life. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Take a look at the text, discover a truth in that text that will answer that question that I presented you just a moment ago. And then after uh, looking at that truth, we're going to see what the takeaways are with respect to that truth. So let's take a look at the text. When you come to uh, Exodus chapter 5, One of the things that I want you to notice is that early on, there is a kind of a spiraling effect. We're we're, we're moving downward. It's what I like to refer to as the spiral of unbelief. That's the first observation you want to make. There is a spiraling into unbelief. In fact, it's manifested in a lot of different ways and from a variety of different people. For instance, would you notice that Pharaoh himself, after being confronted with the will of God, expresses very profound unbelief. How do we know that? I begin the reading in verse 1 of chapter 5 where it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron, and that's after they presented God's will to the people. And you remember the people believed and they worshipped the Lord. After that event, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? In your study of Exodus so far, you may remember in Egypt, there's this pantheon of gods, all different kinds of gods that the people of of Egypt would call upon if they had a specific need, if it was a planting season or if it was harvesting season, they would call upon a specific god and expect that god to respond. 
And so Pharaoh has all of these gods before him, except for the fact that he does not have the Lord God of Israel as part of those deities that he's worshiping. And so it's only natural that he's going to say, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? And then notice his belligerent response. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now, something happens when in, whenever a person begins to embrace unbelief. What happens is they begin to influence other people and they begin to take all sorts of, uh, of drastic measures. In this case, Pharaoh says, I believe that you're trying to do something that's uh, uh, a little bit evil, a little bit sinister along the way. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let the people go. In fact, what you're going to have to do, you're going to have to make the same quota of bricks that you've always been making. And in addition, you're going to have to gather your own straw. And you say, what in the world does this have to do with straw? If you were to go out on a highway construction project, you may notice that um, uh, before concrete is laid on on the highway, what the workers will do, they will put down these uh, iron rods. And the iron rods are there for the purpose of, of strengthening the cement so that when people walk over it or cars drive over it, it's much stronger than it would normally be. won't crack as easily. Straw in the ancient world did the same type of thing. They would mix the straw in with the mud, in with the manufacture of the bricks, and the bricks would be stronger. And so the Israelites were having all this straw delivered to them, and Pharaoh changes the order of things, and he said, we're not going to do that anymore. You're going to gather your own straw. His unbelief leads to all kinds of vindictive behavior. Now, I want you to notice that one of the things that unbelief does, it also influences other people. For example, I want you to notice that we have Pharaoh's unbelief, but we also have the unbelief of his taskmasters. I wouldn't be surprised, I I can't prove this, but I wouldn't be surprised that the taskmasters heard the Egyptians from time to time crying out to their God. They knew something, a little bit about their God. But knowing that, they pick up not on the Israelites' belief, but they pick up on Pharaoh's unbelief. And so what happens in verse 10, we read these words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, get yourselves straw where you can find it. And yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. So we have the unbelief of Pharaoh. That's followed by the unbelief of the taskmasters. And they begin to spread this unbelief into the people. So we have this spiraling effect moving from belief to unbelief, and now the people of Israel pick up on this. Now remember back in verse 31, they heard the will of God, they believe and they bow down and worship Him, but now things are beginning to change. Would you drop down to verse 19 and notice what else is said. This comes from the unbelief of the Israelites. Verse 19, and the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then, as they came from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. See what's happening? 
Pharaoh doesn't believe. The taskmasters certainly don't believe. And now the children of Israel, they're having doubts. They're saying, we thought we knew the will of God, but, but no longer. Moses, you are making life difficult for us. Now, that unbelief leads to a fourth kind of unbelief, and it's manifested in this man Moses, this one who's been called by God, this one who knows the will of God better than anyone else at this point in time. I want you to notice what he says back to verse 22 of chapter 5. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Notice the next line. Neither have you delivered your people at all. For some reason, Lord, there there is a delay here. Something has gone wrong. I don't understand this. Lord, where are you? The first observation I've been asking you to make as we look at this text is is this spiral of of unbelief. It starts with Pharaoh, moves to his taskmasters. In turn, it it enters into the uh, thinking of the Israelites, and ultimately it shows up in Moses' unbelief system as well. But there's a second observation that I, I want you to notice. I'm simply going to call it a change in perspective. In fact, it's a dramatic introduction of a change of perspective. Not everyone embraces it right away. But but Moses is realizing that God hasn't left him and God hasn't left the people of Israel. Might I interject at this point? God has not left you either. You were singing about that a moment ago. God is still with us. God is still strong. God is still working. Why, however, would God allow this delay in his will to take place? Notice what happens in verse 1 of chapter 6, because God begins to speak. Then the Lord said to Moses, now notice the next words. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of of his land. Then notice verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Drop down to verse 6. Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Or what about in verse 7? I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Or what about in verse 8? And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Now, now why does the Lord keep repeating that? Why does he keep repeating his name? Go back to verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And you might have a, a footnote that says, by my name, Yahweh, or we sometimes transliterate it into uh, English as Jehovah, by my name, Jehovah, by my name, Yahweh, uh, you have not known me. Now, at this point, someone will say, uh, what about uh, back in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 7? Didn't God appear as Yahweh to Abraham? Yes, he did. That that name was used in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 7. Or what about whenever um, God appeared to Jacob? Remember that scene in Genesis chapter 28? 
In verse 13, there's this scene where Jacob has a dream. He sees a ladder that is going from the place where he is up into heaven at the top of the ladder. God is speaking to him. And God identifies himself as Yahweh, as the Lord. So he had appeared before. So so what does God mean here when he speaks to Moses? By my name, I I appeared as God Almighty, but but they did not know me as Yahweh. Here's the point. Yahweh had appeared to them in the past, but they did not know him fully. They did not really understand. They did not comprehend what that name was all about. So in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3, when he's basically saying, now you are going to see who I really am. And in fact, he begins to mention certain things that begin to disclose what his name is all about. For example, in verses 4 and 5. He begins to point out that he is the God. He is the Lord who keeps promises. Look at what it says in verse 4. I have also established my covenant with them, that is the fathers, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Well, don't misunderstand what the Lord is saying there. It's not as a... I I forgot. I I did make a promise. I I don't know how I could have forgotten something like that. No, God knows everything. God remembers everything. The word remember here has the idea. I have remembered. I have known this all along. And now I'm going to do something about it. He is the Lord who keeps his promises. He is the Lord who is faithful. That's not the only thing. The Lord, Yahweh, means something else. Look at verse 6. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. That's what Yahweh means. The Lord, the God who rescues, the God who redeems. So he's the God who is faithful. He is the God who rescues. That's what Yahweh means. And now the people of Israel are going to begin to understand that. There's something else. Look at um, verse... Uh, excuse me, verse 7. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had all kinds of gods that they bowed down to. Israel had one. And he was the God who had taken the initiative. He came to them. He draws them to himself as if to say, I am the God who adopts. I'm the God who rescues. I'm the God who is faithful. That's what Yahweh means. That's what he's all about. One more thing. Look at verse 8. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. He is the God who places. See, the significant thing is that God was going to take the people of Israel into the land that we call Israel today to give it to them, and they were going to be there for a purpose, not not just to plant crops, uh, not just to uh, worship in a specific place, but so that they, they might be the light to the nations, that they would know that there is a God, the one true and living God, who is faithful, who rescues and redeems, who adopts people and brings them into his family. He is the God who places them so that they might be the light to the rest of the world. Back to the question with which we started, okay? I said to you, why is it that sometimes 
we hear the will of God, we know the will of God, and we begin to step out and do the will of God, and then all of a sudden we are faced with obstacles. What I'm calling this morning delays. Why does that happen? Listen very carefully. We've looked at the text. Now here is a truth that you will want to take with you into the rest of your life. Are you ready? If you remember anything, you want to remember this. God may delay his promises. He may withhold his plans for a period of time in your life and my life so that we will comprehend his character. God sometimes allows the will of God to face certain obstacles in our lives when we're trying to follow him so that we will pause and we will step back and we will begin to see who God really is. You see, my friends, sometimes if we are not stopped in our path, if there's not a pause in our life, if there's not a delay, we may never step back and look and say, God, are you there? Oh, you are there. Who are you? What are you really like? And the scriptures begin to tell us that God is the God who is faithful. He is the God who redeems. He is the God who brings us to himself and adopts us into his family. He he is the God who places us in the world to represent him in absolutely everything that we do. So God may put a pause in his plans. He may delay his plans so that we will take the time to comprehend his character. Okay, if that's the truth, what is it that God wants us to take away from that truth into the rest of our lives? Let me suggest three things very quickly. One of the things that we need to do is that we need to refocus. Uh, Going back to this spiral of unbelief, one of the things that happens in unbelief is that we're distracted by it. Uh, we, we focus on our pain, we focus on our problems, we focus on the people who are inhibiting us from doing God's will. And God comes along and says, wait a minute. Well, what you need to do is you need to refocus on me. You need to see who I am. And you know what happens whenever we refocus? At least three things take place. First off, we need to refocus on spiritual realities. Would you go back to Exodus chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what happens. This is a confrontation that the Lord, Yahweh, has with Moses. He says to him, Then they will heed your voice, that is, the children of Israel. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord. And that's exactly what Moses and Aaron said to Pharaoh, that this is what they were supposed to do. Uh, But look at the next verse, verse 19. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. You see, God had said to Moses, hey, I'm going to tell you biblical realities. You're going to face obstacles. It's going to happen in your life. You can count on it. And you're going to face the reality of life as well. On this side of eternity, it is not heaven. We are headed towards heaven. In this life, we need to face the realities and we need to be faithful to what God has given us to do. Remember the Apostle Paul? Ananias comes to him. Paul or Saul is still blind and Ananias is reluctant to go. And the Spirit of God says to him, no, you go to him. And you lay your hands on him, 
because he is going to be my servant to the Gentiles and you need to tell him how much he has to suffer in my name. That doesn't mean every single believer is going to have to suffer, but we need to face biblical realities. Life is not always going to be easy. We need to refocus on these biblical realities. Second thing we need to do, we need to refocus on theology. Here's what theology is. Theology is whenever we take the time to look at the portfolio of God, to see what God is like, how God has acted over history. And the more we do that, we begin to see that God is a good God, God is a holy God, God is a merciful God, God is a redeeming God. We see how good and how great God really is. Uh, I like to say to my students back at Moody that uh, everybody is a theologian. (laughs) The question is, are we good theologians or bad theologians. God wants you to be a good theologian. He wants you to be a student of the Word. He doesn't want you to just come here and study the Word and reflect on He wants you to make sure that you are a student of the Word every time you have an opportunity to open the Scriptures and to learn of Him. Refocus on theology. Refocus on biblical realities. And finally, we also need to refocus on responsibilities. Would you take a look at chapter 6 and verse 13? Here's what Moses wrote. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command. Do you see that? And he gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now compare that with verse 6. Now you shall see. Now you shall see, God says. I'm going to act. And what we need to do is we need to realize that we need to refocus on biblical realities, we need to refocus on theology, and then we need to refocus on our faithful responsibilities. That is, we need to grab hold to secure our place and to say, God, I am going to be faithful to you. No matter what happens, I'm going to follow you in whatever you ask me to do. When our sons were very small, um, we usually, once a year, would uh, take them to the Museum of Science and Industry in downtown Chicago. And we would usually go when what was declared as family day. It was a good day to go because the rates were cheaper. Uh, However, (laughs) if you went on family day, you would go to the Museum of uh, Science and Industry, and usually what would happen is uh, you you would get there, and uh, all kinds of families would be leaving the parking lot, and the children would be running to the museum, and you would get up there, and then you would have this long line. That meant every time you went to to one of the rooms, one of the uh, museum areas, you'd have to wait in line. And most of the time, we don't like to wait in line, except for this. We discovered that whenever our children were moving into a room, shoulder to shoulder with other children, they'd have to stop and they would would have to read some of the things that were happening in different displays. And whenever they would have to stop and read those different displays, do you know, they learned so much more than just hurrying through. Sometimes, when you have to stop in doing the will of God, it's really a good place to be. Because you take your eyes off of your problems and you look at the one who is God over all. Whatever your delay might be right now, trust him. Trust him. 
Would you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Now, Holy Spirit, would you take this truth, would you sow it deep into the soils of our souls, so that we would not be a discouraged or unbelieving people, but that we would trust you for all things. We commend ourselves now to you and to your grace, praying all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you.